Open your Bibles up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 today. And as you turn there, let's stand and I'll read it. And as we read, we just have a reverence for the word of God and we bow our heart before its authority to change us and to shape us, to conform us to the heart of God. It says, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, and suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitutes of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the, from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Lord, I know that in this place today we've got uh, young men and women in the middle school age and high school age, all the way up to retired folks, and uh, the exhortation towards uh, masters and, and uh, slaves or employees and employers. Um, it may not seem all that relevant, but you still have a great word towards us today, even in just the, the heart of servitude and submission um, that you call all Christians to also, Lord, throughout the next couple weeks, Lord, as you just work in us, uh, just the state of being content, having Jesus as our King and Lord. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would work by the Spirit in this church, uh, just the well-pleased heart in being known by Jesus and knowing Jesus. We pray all this for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. The story's told of a Roman warship long ago. How the galley boss stood up at the helm one morning and shouted to the assembled rowers, Today I have good news. All of you are getting extra food tonight. The rowers erupted into cheers almost immediately. All except for one very old man seated in the back who began Moaning in horror. Oh no, not again, he replied. Puzzled, a newer rower next to him asked, What are you upset about? We're getting extra food. Because, the old man responds, This, sorry. <laughs> this is a true story. 
because this only happens when the captain's nephew wants to water ski. All right. It's not even that good. Oh. <laughs> Come back, Lord. We need you. Ah. So you can see the difficulty over history that masters and servants have had. As you look in verse 1, we have making the money and the heart towards the master. And then as we go on, we're going to look at wanting the money. And then we're going to look on later on in the chapter, having the money. Okay, and so first of all, you got this, the making of the money and this this, you know, this relationship between, as we look in the context of Timothy to the, uh, Paul to Timothy in the Ephesus culture, you have this real master-slave uh, dynamic there, uh, which of course does have a level of application to us today. So first of all, making the money, the heart towards the master. Verse 1, let as many bond servants who are under the yoke Count their masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. So we have bondservants, as many bondservants, which speaks of slaves or doulos in the Greek. And really, in the immediate context, this gives us an idea of who Paul is writing to. Back in the day, there were 60 million slaves within the Roman Empire. One out of every three Romans was a slave. Actually, many preferred to be slaves because it meant they had, in a sense, job security, a dwelling place, sometimes given actually prominent positions and places within households. Others, though, you know, in a more tragic sense, they were taken as slaves from warfare or because of their indebtedness, or perhaps they were kidnapped. Tragically, even throughout the world today, we see this. We even see as we have relations in Nepal and ministry in Nepal, uh, children being sold into slavery by their parents for profit. And this occurred back in the Roman context as well. But as we're looking, this enslavement was not a small group of people who were in a brutal state but really it was one out of three laborers. It was the artisans and the teachers and the physicians. In a sense, you'd look at this group today in our Prineville, you take a cross section and one out of three of us would be slaves in that culture. And so there were these bond servants, these slaves who were under the yoke, under the yoke, speaking of a heavy burden resting on a bull's neck. They were currently working and laboring like a beast of burden. They were sweating and groaning and laboring. Now, the context isn't immediately similar to how we would think of in our nation's history of the 1860s, 1870s, even up through the civil rights movements of our nation. It's not immediately similar to that type of slavery, which was extremely brutal here in the United States. It's a different culture that Paul was writing to in Ephesus. It doesn't mean there's nothing to learn from it, 
but, uh, but it can be productive for us to hear from in this, knowing the culture Paul was writing to. He was writing to people who were under the yoke, who were laboring. They were blistering under the implements of the tools of their work. They were accomplishing productivity. And that was who Paul was writing to. You know, he says in the book of 1 Corinthians that, you know, if you were a slave when you were called by the Lord, don't go out just seeking freedom from your slavery. You know, whatever, you know, whether you were married or unmarried, just, you know, just because you get saved doesn't mean you go seek a change in the position of your life. The Lord has saved you within that circumstance for a reason. Even if you're under the yoke, even if you're a slave, it says that you're to count, and let me put it back in the, in the tense that it is there, count their own masters worthy of all honor. There's to be this attributing towards your own master. And so right now, we're, we're reading something that in its context was written to laborers. Yes, slaves, but almost more of like an employee you know, um, a bound employee than how we would necessarily think of it uh, with our, you know, American Civil War time slavery. Uh, it doesn't eliminate that, um, but kind of more the, the context of the Ephesians were, these were people that were, um, they were laborers, and they were to count their immediate own master worthy of all on and a few nuggets to take out of that. And so in our Prineville culture, the application goes to you here thinking of your immediate supervisor. Okay? So where you are, you know, at the tire center, you know, at the bank, at the welding shop, you know, wherever it might be, you put right there, okay, so my immediate supervisor, my my foreman, my manager, uh, the own, you know, my uh, my boss all the way up to the owner of the company, I'm to count this master worthy of all honor. You know, as I was studying this, reading it, working on memorizing it the last couple weeks, this isn't just honoring your master. Be governed by your opinion and what is proper when he's given that honor. It's an all-encompassing honor. Think about this. Whoever he or she is, where they're at in leadership in your life, they have done something to get where they're at. They've worked hard. They've spent their own time under the yoke. In fact, even now they're under the yoke. They've advanced. They've invested. They've acquired or they've inherited from someone who loved them, someone who trusted them, someone who respected them. And of course, there are those cases where this guy hasn't done anything and he got the promotion. This lady hasn't done anything. You know, this guy just came in off the, you know, he's just the boss's grandson who got this, but he hasn't done anything. Even in those cases, you're to still show them all honor. All honor. Honor in the way you look at them. Honor in the way you behave towards them. Honor in your body posture and your communication. Honor in the way that you are not passive aggressive. 
Honor in the way you speak to them. Honor in the way you speak about them. Honor in the way you reply to emails. All honor. How are you speaking about your boss or your manager or your foreman to other employees? How are you speaking to your manager or your immediate supervisor? Are you complaining about policy or procedure to them or to others? Are you complaining about the work, the workload, the hours, the vacation time, the amount of time you're given to the company and the compensation that you've gotten? Are you complaining about how you're appreciated? And when you really look at the culture of the Greco-Romans, you've got this employee, but there's also, there is the level of severity and it does even stretch to the enslavement aspect that we would think of with our American Civil War. There's kind of this, you know, it's kind of a blend. So even to the bond servants that are just in, in a, a brutal captivity, they are under the yoke in some form or another, there is still to be all honor to them. And most of us are employed here. And so I would encourage you right now to have a humble heart that would allow the Lord to work repentance in you and that you would repent as you are already being convicted of your behavior directly towards your boss or about your boss. It goes on in verse 1, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. We look at verse 1 and we look at verse 2 and you've got to ask yourself this, what is Paul's main concern here? We have that phrase, so that, or those two words, so that. Why should you show your master all honor? Well, there's a reason. It is so that the word of God and doctrine isn't slandered. Our chief end as men and as women is to glorify God. That's why we've been created in the image of God, is to glorify God. So everything we do is to that end of bringing him praise and glory. And so if something we're doing in our behavior towards our employers, our managers, our foremen, our bosses, is robbing God of glory and in fact slandering his beautiful plan and his beautiful message to redeem mankind by the death of his son, then we're missing the mark. Paul says in another pastoral epistle, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing good fidelity or showing good faith. There's a reason that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior in all things. So the reason we are obedient servants, obedient employees, doing all things with excellence, all things without grumbling, all things without complaining and murmuring. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of evangelism. It's for the sake of the integrity of the scripture, scriptures to be shown. And so that we might adorn 
the gospel. Adorn the word of God. Give a good flavor and a good saltiness to those who are hearing as we speak or who are being witnessed to by other Christians around them. Are you telling me, Rory, that even if my circumstances totally stink, I haven't gotten a raise in so many years, I'm working this many days a week, I'm working this many hours, it's dirty, you know, Mike Rowe has come and visited me on his show, it's dirty jobs, you know, uh, you're telling me I can't complain, I can't murmur, I can't, you know, that's what I'm telling you. Even if your circumstances are slavery in the 1840s, 50s, 60s, there, is be- there are behavior traits of believers that adorn the doctrine of God. It's so that we make the gospel attractive. And if all of the complaining and backtalking and murmuring and throwing things around and rolling our eyes and answering the phone with a totally bummed out countenance is how we're behaving towards our employers, we are not being the salt of the world. We are not being the light of the world. As biblical New Testament Christians who've been born again and redeemed by grace and have been given the Holy Spirit in our life to transform and change everything we are as a person, we are to be considerate and we are to be humble towards all other men and women. This distinguishes us from the world around us and the pagans around us. The matter of circumstances, even though they're not irrelevant, That's not the big issue here in verse 1. The big issue is the glory of God and the doctrine of God. And yet, within our culture, we make all of our decisions and behaviors within the workplace based upon concern for my own well-being, the significance or my status. But as Christians, our rights and our well-being and our status always falls under and is subservient to the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God in our workplace, in our home, in our church, in our community, whatever. Number one isn't number one. We submit ourselves to other things and other people. Yet as Americans, since the 1770s, we champion wonderful, beautiful things about being Americans. Fourth of July, we got the flags out, we got the history lesson down, we're singing the song. Beautiful things. So glad for the Bill of Rights that has connection to biblical principles in its framework. And yet at the end of the day, it's still a man-made document that can so often be more concerned about, number one, me, myself, and my family, rather than the people around me and the people in the globe. It's not the inspired word of God. I love it. I'm thankful for it. I take advantage of it. And yet it's not on the same level as what we've got in our hands today. And so that causes us to learn that submission and servitude and, and the laying down of my rights and my pride and my well-being so that 
this coworker and this manager and this employer and this boss and you know all the way up through the through the structure of leadership in my home my church my community my nation that those people would hear and see Jesus in me and want Jesus and if it means my rights get trampled on if it means that my name is defamed hey so be it for the sake of the advancement of the gospel in my sphere of influence. It would have been possible for Paul, back in his day, to start a revolution. He had enough influence that he could have started something. And in his letter, he could have been like, you guys, all men are created equal, you know? And he could have been like, time to rise up. It's time to, you know... Tell the boss what's up. Tell your slave taskmaster, no way, freedom, you know, and paint half your face blue and, you know, go right, you know, whatever. And you know what? He had enough influence that he, I don't know if he could have influenced 60 million slaves, but he would have had a, he would have put a dent in the slave issue. Yet while Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit and moved along by the Holy Spirit to write the heart of God, he didn't call for revolution. He called for something that is revolutionary. The laying down of my rights. The laying down of my advancement. For the sake of something eternal and far greater. The souls of the men and women around me. And if it means that I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life. Then I'll be a slave. So that I could adorn the gospel of God. If Paul would have led a revolution, where he was at and for what he was writing, it would have meant a discredit to the name and glory of God in that place and in that time. And I love that as we see that when the Lord's ready to do something, when the Lord is ready to change the boundaries that the kings have influence over, when the Lord is ready to end something, there is such a move of the Holy Spirit that you can't stop it. And that's what happened in our American Civil War. When you study the history, it's a beautiful thing. When you study the history of men of God standing up for truth, that was the time when the Lord said, boom, here, now, this is how it's going to happen. What was a legitimate concern concerning slavery and harsh taskmasters, what were sorry circumstances, poor predicaments, definite injustices, those were always lived through the lens of a concern for God's work. And we must remember the gospel is at stake for how we behave at work. It's the same for, we got Russell and Eli in here, we got Lucas, we got all these young guys here. You know, Russell, he's starting to try to learn how to save money, he's starting to work, he's like, dad, can I get the lawnmower and go down around and, and you know, Start mowing lawns, and can we, you know, starting to get some work done. It's the same thing for us. Even if we're volunteering, even if we're in a service status within the church, the same applies. Lay down my rights for the sake of the gospel. When uh, Jesus had a soldier ask him in Luke chapter 3, what should I do, Jesus? Jesus looks at him and says, don't intimidate anybody or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. 
Don't be like the other Roman soldiers complaining about vacation time and, you know, how much work you're doing and the number of days. Man, those are all things you can bring before the Lord. There's peaceful ways to voice these concerns. But at the end of the day, we aren't trying to rock the boat until the Lord does that movement. Be content with your wages. Be about preaching the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us some insight into this as well. You may remember this from our gospel family series last year. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. So there's obedience to the masters. Even in that slavish environment, there's to be reverence and honor with fear and trembling. That's what that speaks of. There's to be a sincerity of heart. You're just not just trying to do it to get that raise or get that promotion, but you're trying to, as to Christ, it says there in Ephesians uh, six five you're serving the lord in the way you're serving your boss not with an eye service you know leaning on the shovel not as men pleasers but as bond servants heartfelt goodwill servants in first peter chapter two jesus is the example in all of this for us it says in uh, first peter chapter two verse 18 Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. So we've got all honor, fear and trembling, Ephesians. Peter tells us um, submission with fear. That's an honor. That's a reverence towards our employers. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And then it talks in verse 20 to those, Peter talks to those who have, they've been rocking the boat. They've been murmuring and complaining. They haven't been getting their work done to try to prove a point. They're slacking off and they're just lazy. And it goes on to say, well, what credit is it then if you're beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? You deserved it. (laughs) But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And so, 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us the example of servants submitting to their masters even when they're harsh. And you know, a good leader never asks his people to do what he himself won't do. And so when Jesus asks us to do this, he says, I've done it. I willingly laid down my back. I gave my back to the beatings. When I was suffering, when I was reproached, all of that was wrongfully. And I didn't revile back. I didn't answer back. I didn't murmur and complain. But I trusted my soul to the Father who judges righteously. That's a word for you in your workplace. Trust the Lord. 
Give to the Lord your concern about your time that you've been putting in and the behavior of your employee. Give it to the Lord and trust the Lord and go to work and adorn, adorn the gospel there. It's interesting that then in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, 1 Peter, it talks to wives and it says, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands. It's all within the context of harsh taskmasters, slaves with their masters, how Jesus behaved to them, and then he calls masters to that, look to G- or he calls employees to that, look to Jesus. And hey, those of you wives that, you know, you've basically got a taskmaster for a husband, I'm telling you, just keep submitting to him, trust the Lord. He's going to work it out. He's going to do something that's incredible there. Trust the Lord. He's the example to us for not elevating himself. Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator Lord, went for the manger. That was his, I'm going for the manger. I'm not going for the palace nursery. I'm going to the manger where there's donkeys and sheep and cows and fecal material on the hay, you know. Like that's, sorry, you can't say fecal from the pulpit. Poo. No, I'm joking. Okay. Jesus went for the manger. Then he went for the donkey when he rode into, he didn't pick the white stallion. He went for the humble position. He went for the donkey. He went for the wash basin as he got on his knees and he washed his filthy friend's feet. He willingly went to the cross, never seeking to elevate himself, always seeking to serve others. Let me tell you this, when I'm concerned about my name, my rights, and my just deserves, I'm probably at my least useful for the kingdom of God. But when I realize that in the gospel, I lay aside my rights, I lay aside my pride, and I'm a servant, I'm a bond servant, as Paul the Apostle called himself, I'm a slave, I'm without rights, and I'm totally dependent on the Heavenly Father to bring justice and rewards in His own time, then I'm at my most powerful for the kingdom of God. Whatever it takes to bring God praise. If it's my enslavement, if it's my beating, if it's my imprisonment, if it's my starving, if God be praised and given glory, amen. This is revolutionary. This is upside down to how our culture thinks, behaves. When we think God is a cosmic genie who you just rub the Bible and he'll just give us whatever we want, health, wealth, and prosperity, we're not living in the sphere of reality. We've created a God of our own choosing because the God of the Bible, though he does have a kingdom that will come one day and there will be wonderful glory and splendor and all suffering is gone, today we live in the day where we lay down our rights, we live a sacrificial life that is led by the Spirit and is about the proclamation of the gospel. And many times, that means death to self, if not all of those times. And so there's to be respect for all masters. It's an outward expression of the New Testament principle of servanthood. There's an old hymn that says, Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render my sword, and I shall conqueror be. That is so backwards from how we would think, isn't it? This is the economy of the kingdom of God. It is a different economy 
than the world, even the best countries in the world. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, as his disciples are arguing about who's better and who should have the best place, he says, guys, that's how the world does it. That's how the Gentiles do it. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever wants to be great among you, let him be the other's servant. That's the economy of the kingdom of God. You want to be great? Then be a servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And then I'm going to count on the youth group to help me out here because it's the same verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which is our theme verse. Almost everyone who's been a part of youth group will be able to help me quote it. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you know what? If that economy was good enough for Jesus who led by example, then it's good enough for me. I'm not walking around my office space looking to be served. I'm walking around looking for every way I can serve and lay my life down. There's a stain on the carpet. That's the custodian's job. You know what? I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and I'm going to dab it up. Because the world doesn't do that. I was in Atlanta this last year and I went into uh, a Walmart and... uh, in the line that we were in, someone had just spilled a soda just all over the ground. And, uh, and it was just there, and people were just walking around it, walking around it. And it was just getting sticky. And, and, uh, and there was a paper towel roll on the next register that was closed right there. And I just grabbed that paper towel roll, and I just got down on my hands and knees, and I just started wiping up that Coke spill and just making it clean. And, and, and the guy behind me just goes, thank you for doing that. And I just said, you know what? Jesus was a servant, and he calls us to be servants. You know, it was a couple months ago. I'm trying to remember exactly how it was put, but I was able to just share the servitude of Jesus and how, man, this is the position that Jesus takes. It's down on his knees serving others, and it's just something like my joy. It's my joy to be able to serve you guys, you know, and that ought to be us in the workplace. That ought to be us in the community. I mean, how many times we walk by on the street and there's litter on the, on the street, well, that's the, you know, that's the city's job to clean that up, you know? And it's like, no, man, the servants, we do it. We get to clean up. We were at the rodeo the other day. And we were at a movie the day, a few days before that. And we were in these public places. And I was disturbed when we got up from this movie. Just people, just nobody picked up their garbage. Just dumped popcorn and sodas. And I'm like, who are we? Oh, let them do it. You know? Let them clean it up. And he goes, hey, they did, you know. What you pay $15 for? No, she was joking. But, you know, I was like, man, kids, pick up that, pick up that. At the rodeo, guys, let's pick up our popcorn. Let's get our neighbors as well. Let's serve around here. And let's do this at our workplace. I was just telling some of these uh, guys that are desiring to be deacons, something that was told to me when I was 15 years old that is seared into my heart to this day. Some leader in my life said, you know what? When I'm among people, and I see a dirty job that needs to be done. I always think if I don't clean that up or pack that heavy thing or whatever it might be, someone I love is going to have to do it. And that honestly has just been a ruler for me in my life that, man, I just, you know, I see someone packing something heavy. I see someone going to clean that. It's just like, man, if I don't do it, someone I love. 
So moving on, just one last thought before we get into verse 2. You know, Paul said, though I'm free from all men, I make myself a slave of all so that I could win more. And just this thought on verse 1 before we do verse 2. looks like we're only going to get through verse 2 today. Don't laugh. Try my best. <laughs> the world knows how to do ugly. The world knows how to do self-advancing. They've got that down. And they know how to play that game. But being a servant, and not just on the outside, doing some act of service is kind of like, oh, it made me feel good to be able to be a part of the community. Forget about how I feel. I might never feel good about this, but I'm called to be a servant. That speaks the gospel. Do it for your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully treat you. Because the enemy's got the, 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 the world and the enemy's got the corner market on treating people wickedly who treat you wickedly. They know how to play that game and they're better at it. <laughs> but they don't get this whole service laying down your life even for your enemy. That's something that, that the gospel brings. And then just another word from Paul to Timothy about um, as we're making the money, as we're uh, servants or employees. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So, the application for today, well, the application for the yesterday in Paul's case, were sometimes there were full-blown full blown slave owners or masters who were the Christians. And there were times that Paul was able to speak the gospel towards that. When you read the book of Philemon, he's dealing with a slave owner who's a believer, whose uh, slave ran away and uh, got saved and was discipled under Paul. And now Paul is able to say, hey, receive this slave back clear his debt and realize that he's useful for the kingdom now we need to work through this whole slave master situation that you guys got going on paul did address that and yet at the same time and even in a application like our 2018 job situation is your employee foreman manager boss etc a christian perhaps your employer even goes to the same church as you Perhaps he's even an outspoken believer. Then don't hate them. Don't be haters because they're Christians. Many think because their boss is a Christian, that ought to mean cut me a little slack, right? Cut me a little slack. Doesn't really matter if I, you know, get my work done on time. Doesn't really matter if I show up to work on time. It's cool if I leave earlier or if I take longer lunches. You get it, right? You know, grace, man, grace. It's all about grace. It's all about mercy. Or perhaps because your employer is a Christian, hey, share the wealth, man. Share the wealth. How come you make this and I make this? I mean, come on. You know, isn't it in the gospel? There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. All things are equal, right? 
quoting a little Galatians there. Maybe up my pay tab a little bit, my paycheck just a bit. Perhaps you expect some favoritism towards you, his you know, brother from another mother, right? Maybe I should get first dibs on promotions or benefits. And we get bitter if those things don't happen to us. But it's important to note, and Paul lays it out for us, that our relationships, even with believers, do not overturn civil jurisdiction. That would be what we call corruption. It'd be the same thing if a believing sheriff's deputy or if a believing police officer or state trooper just winked at a crime that you committed rather than doing his job, his sworn duty towards, um, I want to say executing the law, right? I'm thinking executive branch, so I obviously don't get in too much trouble out there, but um, occasionally. But he's got to do his job. She's got to do her job. There cannot be favoritism. And it must be said that in the employee-employer relationship, believers or Christians should be the best workers out there. And sadly, we're some of the worst. We're some of the laziest. We throw grace around, and, and we think that means everyone should be gracious to us. So we don't do our work, and we witness during work time we're lazy, we're slackers, but as Christians, we should make an all-out attempt to work hard and to work carefully and to be diligent, to have good attitudes towards our masters, not throwing things around, not bitter, not slacking off, not late, and the people around us, man, they need to see that kind of salt. They care more about your faithfulness and your integrity than they do about the Christian bumper sticker that you've got or the concert that you're trying to invite them to. They want to see you get to work on time so that they don't have to cover you, uh, cover for you to the boss who's wondering where you're at. How about you forget about the bumper sticker? Where were you anyways putting the bumper sticker on your car? You should have been here 25 minutes ago. That's salt. That's light. We have the worship team come back up. <clears throat> We're to teach and exhort these things. Workers need to hear these things. Don't worry. Employers have their own exhortations from the scriptures. The masters have their own duties that they're called to, that the Lord will hold them accountable to. But in our text today, it's not about them. It's about you, the working man, the working woman. Man, even if you were to find yourself in a place where you were in a slave position, it's to be taught. It's to be exhorted. Honor your master with all honor. He's a believer. Don't be a hater of him. Rejoice. That's a New Testament principle. And it's okay for you to be wronged and your brother to be elevated. Even if it's in a matter of something, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't even sue your brother. You know, if you've got some sort of conflict, don't take him before courts and defame the name of Christ. If he's a believer, bring in a third party, bring it before the church. You believers are going to judge angels. Deal with it among the church. 
But don't go defame the name of Christ out there among the world. Why not let yourself just be wronged, Paul says. It's the same in the workplace. Why not just let yourself be wronged? Because in our culture, it's about number one. It's about elevating me. It's about me coming to my best potential, fulfilling my dream and getting what I want, regardless of what it means for that guy or for that gal. That's how it's often applied in our culture today. And that is an idol that needs to be torn down in light of the gospel today. In the light of Jesus, who he's been there, he gets it. His own creation tried to murder him a bunch of times. He never had a place to lay his head. He had a, never had a place to be comfortable. His own creation was trying to murder him. These men, they, they finally did arrest him. They beat him. They wrongfully accused him. They lied about him. And he willingly gave his cheek to be struck. He willingly gave his back to be beaten. He willingly laid down his life so that the greater thing could take place. And that greater thing is that all the world could be saved through the death of the Son of God. They would put their faith and their trust in him. There would be atonement of sins. His blood that would be shed. His perfect, spotless, precious blood being shed. Washes away their sins. So that he would remember their iniquity no more. Do you see what servanthood brings? Being a servant, being a slave brings life. Lord, this is tough for us today. Lord, in this week of the 4th of July, Independence Day, we're hearing a message about being slaves, willingly being slaves, Lord. It's counterculture. We love our country. We love our freedom. We love the Bill of Rights. We love the Declaration of Independence. We're appreciative and we're thankful. And to think of the men and the women who've sacrificed and shed blood and shed their own blood and laid down their lives so that we could have freedom. Lord, we just, we give all honor to them. We pray for our national leaders, Lord. We pray for, uh, for the United States of America. And yet we also realize that it is not the kingdom of God. That even within this man's system, as wonderful as it may be, as much as it's had the influence of the Bible and men of God, there's still things that rise up and try to be idols in our life. Like our own rights, like our own comfort, like our own self-advancement. When there are people around us who've never heard the good news of the gospel, They've never seen it lived out in front of them. And Lord, we realize that as Christians or little Christs, we may be the only Jesus these people ever see. And so Lord, fill us with your spirit today. We can't do this on our own. This is a tall task. This is a tall order. This requires death to self, a laying down of my rights, a laying down of my pride. 
And we thank you that you give us the power to do just that. Just clothe us with your power today. We pray that uh, in these workplaces, it wouldn't even seem manufactured or forced. It would just be, oh, I'm just quick to serve. I'm quick to put others first. It's my joy to imitate Jesus here at this workplace. It's natural, and Lord, that it would be that salt that causes people around us to be thirsty for life in Jesus.